My name's David, one of the ministers here, and uh, hello to everyone, and welcome to those joining us on the live stream. Good to have you with us. We're in uh, the last week of our We Believe series on God, and I just want to start by telling you about uh, where I was last week. I was at a wedding last week, and it seems that a lot of the weddings I go to, they seem to want to do this thing where they give you a bit of a history of the relationship. Is that what happens at weddings these days? It kind of, they want to talk about how they got together, uh, who initiated the relationship, who called who first, who said I love you first, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and this couple w wanted to sort of set the record straight on, on where their first date was, because they didn't agree on where the first date was. Uh, the, the groom thought it was Nando's, the bride thought it was the beach. And so they asked all the people who were there, and they said, where was it? Because they all knew them, family and friends. And everyone, unanimous decision uh, was, what was it, Sammy? <laughs> it was the beach. Yeah, it was the beach. Um, which is, of course, the grooms, were the grooms, anyway, I'm getting, I'm getting confused. Either way, they, they set the record straight. It was, it was the beach. But the bride, of course, thought, no, 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 it was actually Nando's. So she was not convinced. Um, but it got me thinking about, you know, what is the history of our relationship with God? Right, who initiated the relationship between us and God? Who, who called who? Right, who said, I love you first? Right, and we don't have to actually set the record straight. I'm not going to ask for a vote here. Uh, we don't have to do that because the Bible sets the record straight for us on this relationship, doesn't it? Now, the Bible paints a picture of our relationship with God. In these kind of three broad brushstrokes that we see across the Bible, we see you know, creation, fall and redemption. Now, that's the history of our relationship with God. Uh, and we saw last week that, that creation really uh, sets the stage um, for those things, doesn't it? Right? God, the, uh, the self-existing one who created us and all things and who cares for all things, um, that was creation. But then after creation came the fall, right, where we sinned against our creator, uh, where we worshipped created things rather than our creator and, and so we we fell from that grace and now we are in need of redemption uh, we, we are in need of redemption and the word redemption um, we hear that today kind of when someone has fallen from grace don't we that's kind of the, the language we use uh, and they are sort of on the road to redemption you heard that kind of language before um, i heard it on wednesday night when new south wales beat queensland i heard <laughs> I saw the headline, actually, New South Wales redeemed themselves, you know, sort of. Uh, they're on the way back. And, and that's kind of what the idea of redemption contains those ideas of a comeback, of, of a restoration, of a return uh, to where you were before. And so we are in need of redemption after our fall into sin. Because our sin, our sin had massive effects on creation and our relationship with God. It, it broke our relationship with God, so no longer is there favour and peace, but there is, uh, we're under God's judgment. And, and it corrupted our nature as well in ourselves. We are no longer free to love and serve and obey God, but we are slaves of sin. Uh, and it, it infected all our relationships with other people, didn't it? So there is hatred and there is conflict and there is, there is war uh, and there is jealousy and all kinds of, of relational difficulties. And it also ruined creation, our fall into sin. Uh, where there was harmony before and perfect peace, now there is frustration and decay in creation. And so things are not as they should be. 
But God is not finished with his creation because the rest of the Bible's story after the fall is about redemption. Right? Where, where God reveals himself as our gracious redeemer. Where God is working to reverse the effects of the fall. Right? He's, he's promising to deal with sin uh, and restore the perfect relationships we had with him in the beginning, that which was lost. And so that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at how God uh, is our gracious redeemer. And there's kind of four moments um, that give shape to our understanding of his redemption. And, and these are the four moments that uh, redemption is predestined from the Father. Uh, it's accomplished through the Son, applied by the Spirit, and completed in the end. And so you can see that our redemption is rooted in the Trinity. Right from beginning to end, uh, it's rooted in the Trinity. Uh, remember that from a few weeks ago, uh, that God is one and three, he's united and distinct. Uh, good for us to remember that as we go through this today, because although we can kind of talk about the persons separately uh, in how God relates to us, uh, we must never forget that all their works are done together as one. Anything one person does, God does as they work in harmony. So just remember that as we're going through so it doesn't sound like a modalism kind of sermon. Okay, so firstly, we're going to look at redemption was predestined by the Father. So the Father is the, you know, the originator, the author, the beginner uh, of our redemption. Uh, and God predestined it not only before the fall, but actually before creation. Right, we read that amazing statement that Paul gives us in Ephesians, didn't we? Have a look at it again. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. It says, Therefore he, the Father, uh, chose us in him, which is the Son, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Right, so redemption is like creation in that uh, God did not need to create, to, to complete him or to satisfy him, uh, but he chose to create us and all things. Uh, it's like that with redemption, didn't need to redeem us either, but he chose to. Right, you can see the words there, he chose, he predestined. It was in accordance with his pleasure and will. So there's nothing outside of God that compelled him to redeem us. It was his gracious choice. Uh, and this is the beginning of our relationship with God. Right? It's God who initiates the relationship with us. Right? Because notice, we're there, aren't we? We, 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 are, we are thought of before creation because he chose us and he redeemed us. And where were we? This is before we'd done anything. This is before we even existed. Right? God's redemption is, is a gracious redemption. Uh, it comes to us freely and undeservedly. Right? And then it's, it's throughout the rest of the Bible that God reveals this plan that he predestined before creation. He, he reveals his plan of redemption. And look, the, the story that really sets the pattern for God's redemption in the Old Testament is the Exodus. Yeah, the Exodus, right? Do we, do we see that in Psalm 136, God's love enduring forever and, and the way that he redeemed his people from Egypt? Uh, hopefully you kind of know the story, but Israel had become slaves in Egypt. They'd grown numerous uh, and Pharaoh was a bit 
uh, nervous about them, so he, he enslaved them, uh, and they were slaves under his great power. Uh, but there was a greater power at work for them. God redeemed his people Israel with, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Right, performed those, those signs and those wonders, the ten plagues, uh, to bring them out of Egypt. Uh, and you remember the last plague, right? the, the firstborn, the death of the firstborn. Right? That was actually that was the price of their redemption. In, in the last plague, God said the destroyer would pass over Egypt, taking the life of all the firstborn. Uh, but Israel could have their firstborn spared if a lamb died in its place, if they sacrificed the Passover lamb, put the blood across the doorpost, the destroyer would pass over them uh, and their sons would live because the lamb died in its place. So that was, that was the price of their redemption. And, and then what was the purpose of this redemption? This is really important. Uh, it's repeated many times in Exodus, if you've read it. Uh, we, we know the first part quite well. It's even kind of captured in that song. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, ooh, baby, let my people go. Anyway, I'm not going to sing it. And maybe next week, I'll talk to Tim about that. Uh, we all know the let my people go bit, but, but look what comes after let my people go. Let my people go so that they may worship me. That's the purpose of God's gracious redemption, that his, his redeemed people would worship him. That's why he did it. Uh, and again, not because they loved God or they deserved it or they worked for it. It's, it's the grace of God because of his great love that endures forever. And so that's the pattern of the redemption that we see in the Old Testament. But it's, it's really, they were only ever pointing to God's ultimate redemption that would come, weren't they? These patterns. When the Father would send his only son, uh, to accomplish his eternal plan. And so redemption is then accomplished through the Son. And so it's the Son who carries out the plans of the Father personally, right? The, it's the Son where the Creator becomes our Redeemer, where the Son of God becomes a man and lives among us. And it's Jesus that fulfilled all of God's promises for our redemption. As Paul says, uh, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Right, he is our redeemer. And what was the price of the redemption that Jesus won? Well, the price was his own blood. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. Paul tells us there that in him we have redemption through his blood. Right, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Right, so redemption, the price of redemption was Jesus' own blood. And you can see there, re redemption is about the forgiveness of sins. Because right, we were actually the ones who were slaves of sin uh, before Jesus came. Uh, we were the ones who deserved to die because of our sin. Right? We were the ones guilty, deserving of wrath and God's judgment because of our sin. And we were facing death but this is the next part of our relationship with God where Jesus comes to redeem us by his death on the cross. Right? On the cross, Jesus took our place. Right? We were the ones who deserved to die. Jesus was the one who took our place. He, he was the lamb 
that was sacrificed uh, to take away the sin of the world. Jesus paid the price for our sin. He he satisfied the wrath of God. Uh, He died the death that we deserved. But of course, Jesus rose again, uh, victorious, didn't he? Uh, Revelation talks about Jesus as the lamb who was slain. But he's risen, of course, uh, which which is telling us Jesus accomplished the plan of redemption. It's it's finished. Once and for all time, never to be repeated, totally secure and done. Uh, This is one of the main points of Hebrews, if you've read that great letter. Uh, It just wants to talk about just the finality of Jesus' work. And so Hebrews 9.12 captures that. Jesus did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. So the the picture is Jesus has obtained eternal redemption. It's like a thing he owns, that he possesses. Uh, It's a victory that just cannot be taken away from him. You know, it's like after the game, Jesus is he's in the change rooms, he's won the victory, he's celebrating, uh, nothing can change that. It's set in history. And, and the really good news of the gospel is that, that he invites us into his victory with him, to share in that with him. But do you know how that happens? How do we share Jesus' victory that he won? Well, that's the next thing, it's that Redemption that Jesus won is applied to us by the Spirit. And so here we have the Spirit now. Uh, The Spirit is the, you know, the life-giving, life-transforming, perfecting power of God, right, sent by the Father and the Son to apply the work of Christ in redemption. So we saw that in Ephesians 1.13, the end of that passage we read. Paul says that, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So can you see that what happens when you you hear the gospel and you believe in Jesus, that you are included in him? You are included in Christ, you are united with him and you are kind of sealed in place by the Holy Spirit. You you are locked in with Christ by the power of the Spirit, never to be moved from that sphere of being in Christ and united with him. This is a a special union that comes by the power of the Spirit that that transforms us. It transforms us in in two main ways that are really important. Uh, Our legal standing, the first one is our legal standing before God is changed. Uh, And the second is that our nature is renewed by the Spirit. So just quickly, those two things are so important. Our legal standing is changed when we are in Christ. Because uh, where before we were guilty and we were condemned and we were facing the penalty of our sin, in Christ uh, we're set free from the penalty of sin. Right? Redemption means the forgiveness of sin. Ephesians 1.7 In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So in Christ, all sins, past and present and future, are paid for by his blood. And we are included in him. We have his his perfect righteousness counted to us as a gift. And so the result is that before God, we stand holy and blameless 
in his sight. Right? We stand before God not guilty, but completely forgiven and accepted by him uh, in Christ, united with him by the Spirit. And so our legal standing has changed. But also our nature is, is being renewed. You know, so before we were in Christ, we were slaves to sin. Right? We were under the power of sin. We could do nothing but sin. We could not obey God. Right, but in Christ, the Holy Spirit renews our nature. We, we are given a new heart to love and obey the word of God. All right, this is why Paul would urge the Ephesians a little bit later in this letter. He would urge them in this way, saying, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Right, he, he couldn't say that if they hadn't been renewed by the Holy Spirit because they couldn't live a life worthy of God if they didn't have the Spirit empowering and enabling that in them. And so really, this, this life that we live as Christians, it is the redemptive work of God in our lives today through the power of the Spirit. Right, God is transforming us uh, into the image of Christ, right, more and more into those who, who love him and worship him, not perfectly, right, but in Christ we are, we are heading in that good direction, growing more like him. Right, this is the work of God in us today, his redemptive work, but it's not finished, is it? Uh, it it's, it's moving toward an end. It's moving toward its, its completion when it is completed in the end. And here's the last point. Uh, redemption, right, that was predestined by the Father, accomplished through the Son, applied to us by the Spirit, awaits its end, doesn't it? Right, the end is the redemption of all things. Right, when the effects of the fall are totally reversed, when there is perfect peace, uh, not just like it was, but, but even better than it was in the beginning. Right, we're looking forward to this time uh, that, that Paul sort of puts this way. We're looking forward to uh, when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Right, we're looking forward to uh, that redemptive unity uh, that is promised. And there's, there's kind of three things to look forward to. There's three things that the Bible encourages us to look forward to with eager expectation and hope of our redemption. Uh, and they are these three things. The first one is a redeemed body. Okay, redeemed body. Like, like Christ's resurrection body, uh, he will raise us uh, with a body that is incorruptible, uh, that is immortal, uh, with new capacities for enjoying God and being in his presence. So redeemed bodies, but also we're looking forward to a redeemed creation as well. Right? Creation itself is going to be renewed. Heaven and earth will be united under Christ. Right? Sin and all its effects are gone. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. Right? It'll be a place of perfect peace as it should be we're looking forward to that and we're also looking forward to redeemed relationships in this place right peace with creation uh, no more frustration a uh, peace with one another right no more fighting and conflict but best of all a peace with god right a, a peace with god experiencing the everlasting ever-increasing joy of life in his presence under his perfect rule. 
Right? And so that's what it's all about, isn't it? That's, this is what God is doing. He, is, he, is, he wants to get his people, his redeemed people, uh, in his redeemed place uh, under his perfect rule and blessing. Right? God's people, God's place under his blessing. Right? This is what God has created us for. This is what God predestined before creation. It's what he worked through Christ. It's what he's applying through the Spirit uh, and awaits its perfect end. I say, how great is the Bible to, to really set the record straight on our relationship with God, to show us God is our gracious redeemer. God is our gracious redeemer. And I've got a way for us to think about our relationship with God. Two little pictures that I, I picked up this week as I was reading a book, really helpful. Uh, our relationship with God is not N-shaped, it's U-shaped. Does that make sense? So not the N-shape, but it's, it's the U-shape. And what we mean by that is that it's not the N-shape where, where we initiate the relationship with God, where we kind of do things upward, where we might ascend to God and earn his favour, you know, get his attention by our good works, and then God notices and he, and he blesses. Uh, so it's not like that. It's actually the other way around. It's, it's the U-shape where it's God who initiates the relationship. It's God who predestined us before creation. It's Christ who came to die for our sins 2,000 years ago. It's the spirit that, that is given to us by grace to redeem us and give us a life in Christ. Right? Is this not what we have seen uh, across this whole series so far, this, this U-shaped relationship? right? You might remember week one, how is it that we know God? Is it because we are so smart? Is it because we found where he was hiding? No, it's because God revealed himself to us so we can know him. right? And, and God, God's creation, was it because he needed us? No, uh, it was because of his good pleasure that he would create us and all things. And what about today? Uh, did God redeem us because we deserved it? Because we had earned it some way? No. Uh, it was because of his great love that he redeemed us. Right? God's love is expressed toward us in grace. Right? God does not treat us as our sins deserve. Uh, there is nothing in us to attract his love, everything to attract his, his wrath and his judgment. But God freely and lavishly, he gives to us life and breath and all things because he is merciful, because he is kind, because he is loving, because he is our gracious God. And he does it all so that we might know him, so we might know the greatest love the world has ever known, uh, so we might be those redeemed people who live to praise him forever. So, you know, knowing God, this whole series about knowing God, uh, knowing God and his grace is really good for us. Uh, it's so good for us so we can understand the relationship and so we, we actually respond to God in the way that we should, right? So we don't respond to God, his grace, by trying to repay him and say, I've got to pay God back for all the good things he's done for me. No, we actually respond with thanksgiving, right? Uh, that attitude of gratitude. Right? We respond with, with praise, we respond with joy that God would be so, so good to us. Right? And we respond with a life of obedience that glorifies him. Right? A life that we were created for. So it's good as we think about ourselves and our relationship with God, but it's also really good as we think about other people 
that we know. Because these things that we've seen over this series, particularly like the last two weeks, as we've seen how God is toward us, these things are true of every single person that we meet, every single person that we know. They are created in the image of God uh, and they are those for whom Christ has died. Those two things are true of every person we know. And I just wonder, is that how you think about people? Like when, you, when you meet people, when you see people, when you're dealing with people, do you think about them that way? I think if we do think about them in that way, it will just transform the way we treat them. It will help us to love people the way God loves them and to see people the way that God sees them. Right, so, so when you see someone, uh, think this is someone created in the image of God. This is someone created to worship God. Right, they're not going to be happy until that is a reality in their life, until they know him. And right, when you see someone, you think, oh, here is someone for whom Christ has died to redeem. Now, here is someone who is under the judgment of God, facing his wrath in eternity. Right, they need to know about Jesus. They need to hear the gospel so they can believe in him, so they can have eternal life in his name, not perish, but have eternal life. Right? Do we think about people that way? Because right, this is what we were created for. Right? Didn't, didn't Jesus put it so simply for us in John 17, uh, in his prayer, when Jesus said, and this is eternal life. This is life to the full. This is true life. This is the best life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Right? That's life. Right. Isn't that what we want for ourselves? Isn't that what we want for everybody that we know and, and for our children? Right. We want people to know God because that is what we were made for. That is what God wants for us. That's why he does all things. So we might know him. Uh, so we might enjoy him. Right. It's why he created. It's why Jesus came. It's why he sent the Spirit. Uh, this is the end toward which all things are working. And so it transforms the way we know God and how we see others. And now I just I was thinking, how do we finish this series? Because this is the end now. And I thought, I think we should finish with Paul's prayer. Uh, so the, the very next part of Ephesians, after the part we read this morning, is a prayer from Paul. And it's so interesting that what does Paul want for people who know God through Jesus Christ? What is his prayer for them? It's that they would know him better is that they would grow in their understanding and knowledge and love of him. And so I just want to finish by just asking you to close your eyes and I'm just going to read the next bit of Ephesians, which is a prayer, and it's a prayer that uh, I want us to make our own as we finish this series together. And so close your eyes and I'll read Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. For this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so Paul's prayer is that those who know God might know him better, might know his hope, might know his power, might know his love, right? so that we might love him more and live to the praise of his glorious grace. Uh, and that should be our prayer as well. Amen.